the thing is, I felt like I should feel incredibly lucky because I had built this practice to a level of success. I had invested a lot of time, training, money, really everything into this private practice. It obviously takes years to build something like that. And it was full and I had a wait list and all of the things that I thought I wanted and kind of what I had (laughs) dreamed of building, I had built. So I felt like I should just feel lucky. As I continued to sit with it and think about what had come up over that weekend, it just kept returning to me, this feeling Mm. of actually there's something here to listen to. There's something here to really pay attention to and take seriously. And that was pretty scary because if I were to listen to that, then what did that mean? That's Annie Schusler describing some of the conflicting emotions that she was going through as she thought about what seemed at the time to be a scary and crazy idea, making a career change. Now, reinventing one's career isn't that novel anymore. In this day and age, we often hear of stories of people leaving jobs they hated to follow their quote-unquote passion. But Annie's job that she wasn't happy about was her own private practice, a successful therapy practice that she had built over 20 years. And what she wanted to do essentially was to put all of that aside, risk the quote-unquote stable and known, and do something completely different. Annie herself had thought that she was having her own version of a midlife crisis. And in this episode, we talk about all that happened, after that one beautiful weekend when she finally realized that this successful career that she had painstakingly built, the truth was she dreaded returning to it that following Monday. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster and your host. On this show, I talk about life in the middle. But here's one thing you should know about me. I'm not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests here on Second Breaks, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a digital publication for the over 40 about getting stronger, wiser, and bolder in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe for free at thebriefingnotes.com. Changing careers under any circumstance can be a challenge. Doing so in our midlife, after we've built a successful career through years of training and dedicated work, that can be daunting. And what if you're actually good at that job? What if the thing that you do is meaningful work and your clients need you? What if you've got kids and you're the breadwinner in the family? Faced with such responsibilities and expectations, it's easy to rationalize our way out of a career change. We can persuade ourselves that we don't need to make a change at all. 
that this is how things are. And oh, by the way, it's not so bad. Other people have it worse than us. Now we know that story, don't we? Perhaps it's even the one that you're telling yourself these days. If there's one thing that 2020 drilled into me, it's that things can turn just like that. The rug can be pulled from under us without any warning. And so, wouldn't we want to fill our lives with the kinds of experiences we'd rather be having? Certainly, what we do during our working hours is a large part of that experience. On the other hand, there is the reality of our lives. In our midlife, we've got responsibilities, we've got obligations, people are depending on us, and we can't just walk away, yell YOLO, and throw caution to the wind. I believe that there's a way to usher in change in our careers and our lives without it being a cautionary tale of a midlife crisis. There's a way to do a big, bold move that's also responsible and respectful of the people in our lives. And Annie Schuster's story is one such example. Today, Annie is a business coach and the host of the Rebel Therapist podcast. She helps therapists, healers, and coaches make an impact beyond a traditional private practice. Before she was a business coach, Annie was a trained and licensed therapist with a booming private practice. Let's let Annie tell the story from the beginning. So this was around 10 years ago. I had planned an informal college reunion with three of my best friends from college. We had graduated in 1993, and we wanted to just be together for a few days. We live in different places all over the U.S. and and one of us overseas. And so we just wanted to dedicate some time to really being together and catching up. And over this magical weekend, as I was asking my friends to tell me more about what their careers were like, how they were feeling in their jobs, I saw this certain kind of spark and ease in the way they were talking about their jobs. One of them was a professor. She's actually no longer alive. One of them is a minister. One of them is a community organizer. And I just felt this real spark come up in their eyes as they're talking about their jobs. Not that it was perfect, but just so clearly they're doing the right thing. And I had this feeling of, uh uh-oh, like, I don't feel that way. (laughs) I don't feel that way in my job. And I don't want to admit it to myself. I don't mind admitting it to them, but I don't want to admit it to myself. And I had to admit that I was feeling a little bit of dread in my own work and in going back to work the next week. There is something about being removed from my daily life where usually I would have been focused on, well, yeah, whatever. Things aren't supposed to be so great all the time. And what's the next thing you have to get done? I had a little kid at home. I was traveling with my older child who was around eight at the time. Usually I would have been very busy and just caught up in the next moment of my day. But here I was slowed down and I was kind of forced to notice, uh, I'm not feeling the same kind of love of my career as my beautiful friends are feeling. 
At that time, Annie, you were you had a practice. You were running your own practice. Yeah, I had a therapy practice. The thing is, I felt like I should feel incredibly lucky because I had built this practice to a level of success. I had invested a lot of time, training, money, really everything into this private practice, this therapy practice, and I was working with couples. I had gotten a really high level of training. It obviously takes years to build something like that, and it was full, and I had a wait list, and all of the things that I thought I wanted. Like from the outside, people are probably going, "Well, look at her; she's successful. She must be having a ball." Yeah, exactly, and kind of what I had <laughs> dreamed of building, I had built. So I felt like I should just feel lucky. When they were telling their stories, were you sort of talking about it in the same sort of "I love my work"? Or were you beginning to kind of tell them?、Mm. I am so honest with these women that I was just like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> What I do is really fantastic and really、uh, interesting in a lot of ways, and it it transforms people's lives. And it's so important. And I don't know if I like it. So yeah, I was pretty honest right away about that. And as I was talking about my work as Any time I would talk about couples therapy, they were really curious and interested, and you know, found what I had to say to be interesting. And the problem was that I was feeling that that sense of dread. So, at the end of that、uh, weekend reunion, did you know, or did you have some plans about okay, what am I going to do with this, or were you just like, okay, well, now what? I was a little bit on the fence of feeling like maybe what I need to do is just let this go, go back to regular life, and this this feeling of wanting something different will pass. I even wondered if maybe I was self sabotaging that、mm-hmm. I had finally created success for myself, and maybe I was kind of trying to sabotage it by thinking, oh, I need something new. So I went through a lot of different ways of of kind of trying to push this away. I thought maybe I was looking for an unrealistic level of excitement. Yeah, and as I continued to sit with it and think about what had come up over that weekend, it just kept returning to me this feeling、mm. of actually there's something here to listen to. There's something here to really pay attention to. And take seriously, and that was pretty scary because if I were to listen to that, then what did that mean? You know, I was I had invested a lot of time and a lot of money into this, so that sunk cost fallacy was up in a huge way. Like, if you've built it, you got to keep it. Yes. <laughs> so it was scary. It was scary to take it seriously, and. One thing I was afraid of was talking to my wife about this because、mm-hmm. even though my wife is not a scary person at all, I just felt like she, who also goes by they, had just sacrificed so much and really had invested in this career with me in raising our kids together, in. You know, being there on the weekends when I would go away for trainings in advanced couples therapy and all of that stuff, they had been 
so supportive. And so I felt like bringing this up with them and saying, you know, I'm thinking I need a change, that that would just not be fair. That that would just put them over the top to feeling like, what now? And I was wondering whether it's it's one thing if you said, you know, I want to be a dentist or, you know, I want to be a chef or like if you knew what you wanted to do next. Whereas if I didn't know what I wanted to do next, it's a different kind of conversation. Did you think that that was part of what was playing in the background? Yeah, I had an inkling already that I wanted to be a business coach. Oh, but I didn't know how to become a business coach. So it almost felt like as flaky as just saying like, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to do something. But uh, not that I really think that'd be flaky, but that was me yes. talking to me. I kind of knew I wanted to be a business coach. And because I didn't know how to begin, I wasn't taking that very seriously. So it actually helped when I told my wife, I was just crying. I remember I was lying on our bed. I was just crying, all balled up. And she's asking me what's wrong, you know, very concerned. And I was like, I don't even want to tell you. This is so hard to tell you. But wait, when this yes. happened, yes. this wasn't like immediately after the weekend with your with your college friends, right? It was pretty soon. It was okay. pretty soon. It was probably about a week after I got back. Yeah, which for me is a long time because I'm just always thinking and processing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a week of thinking about week this. Of thinking about this. And like, should I should I talk about this? Should I take this seriously? Yes. And so then I just, you know, I just let it all out. This is what I'm afraid of. This is like I know I I was the breadwinner. I'm the breadwinner. I know we need this income. This income is amazing. This work is so important and I'm feeling like I'm headed in the wrong direction. And they just were like, 100%, yeah, we got to figure this out. This isn't okay for you to to feel this pressure or this burden. you know. And I even said at the time, I don't know, I'm thinking business coaching. It's just so interesting to me. And they just said, yeah, great. We can figure that out. We can figure out a way for you to follow that dream. I'm so grateful for that. I'm just so grateful that they didn't even really need to skip a beat. How wonderful is that? Because I'm just thinking that, and I'm probably projecting <laughs> based on my experiences, that the initial response would be like trying to fix it, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, what's wrong? Let's try and figure out why you're feeling that way. Let's, you know, that, that kind of fixing it scenario. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is so tempting and sometimes even the right solution. And I know that that's what most people did and I don't blame them at all. That's what mm -hmm. most people did who I talked to about this early on was, okay, well, we can, you know, you can find ways to get what you're wanting from the life that you have right now. And like, mm -hmm. let's look at how you could be thinking differently and you could be feeling differently and then you wouldn't need to make this change. And, <laughs> and sometimes that would feel really convincing. And sometimes I think that's true. But for me, in this situation, I also needed to change what my actual job was. Right. 
So then I, I decided that one step in this journey should be to hire my own coach. And so I hired a coach and really not a business coach, a life coach to just work with coaching and to get to know the field. This is a segue. This is what's good about a therapist because mm. you know, you know, when you need help, mm-hmm. other people <laughs> would not go there right away. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Asking for help is is really, I think it is the first step for me in something big. And, and it's interesting that you didn't you didn't go for a business coach. You picked a life coach initially. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the thinking there? Like why why that versus a business coach? I wanted to know what it would be like to be a coaching client if I was going to be a business coach. And I also felt like even though business coaching is a particular kind of coaching, I wanted to understand kind of the the foundations of coaching before taking it into a particular niche. And I was curious too about, maybe it's not business coaching, maybe it's something else. Hmm. And so I wanted to kind of, I just wanted to put myself in her hands and say like, help me figure this out. <laughs> So her name's Pat Chambers, and um, she was a close friend of a close friend, and she helped me to identify my values and, you know, the big why, and worked with me on some mindset stuff. And she also really did explore a lot, like, maybe you don't need to switch careers, maybe you need to switch your thinking. And so I needed to kind of bump up against that in order to really figure out, nope, I got, <laughs> I've got to also switch careers. And then, so did you then come up with a plan about the transition, how you're going to transition away from one type of career to another or how yes. it's going to flow? Yes. And, and this part I think was so key I'm really glad that she knew this, that the most important way to start this new business was to start this new business, was to start working with people and start helping people. And I had already been informally helping a lot of my friends with their businesses because it is just fascinating to me. So we we just got me working with people where I, you know, I let everyone know this is something that I'm interested in and I'm looking for some first clients and some, you know, doing some free consult calls to get started and to just start coaching. And so I'm really glad that she encouraged me to do that instead of like go do, you know, months and months of research and create something that I think is perfect and then put it out to the world. No. So we started with just getting me into conversations. So did you, did it end up to be like you were half and half? Yes. So for quite a while, I was running a therapy practice and building my coaching practice. My therapy practice did change a lot. So I, I did listen to that feedback of like, maybe there's things you could change here that would make it better for you. And I did all that, and I, and I did come to really like my therapy practice. My business coaching 
just had a bigger spark to it for me. And so that's, as I was having these two businesses, I was then paying attention to how they each made me feel and where I was getting to use my biggest gifts. And coaching really was the place that just kept drawing more of my energy and where I wanted to be putting more and more of my time. So my therapy practice, by the time I closed it, which was just a year ago now, it was um, you know April of 2020, it was really a joyful business and it was bittersweet to say goodbye. So it, it, there was a transformation there. It just wasn't the transformation of, and then I, you know, stayed with it happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) The inciting (laughs) incident kind of weekend Mm -hmm. was about 10 years ago and you closed the practice about a year ago. Mm -hmm. So that was about, so how long were you doing? How long were you doing both that entire time? I was doing both that entire time. Like if you, if it was a graph, you would see kind of an X where the, the business coaching grew and grew and grew and the therapy business shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. So that you're spending more and more time on one versus the other. Yeah. So I would say for the last four years of my private practice, it was a very small private practice. How were you introducing yourself to people during this time? Ooh, that's such a good question. I used to introduce myself as a therapist because it was so easy, because people knew what that meant. Mm, Yes. And then we would move right on (laughs) to something else. (laughs) And I'm a little bit of an introvert. So yeah, I would just say, oh, I'm a therapist. And then that changed probably about four years ago, that changed where I would just choose to start with business coach. And a lot of times in a longer conversation, I would end up talking about both, but I would just introduce myself as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I started introducing myself as a business coach. And then folks would ask me, you know, who do you, who do you (laughs) work with? What do you do? And I'd say, well, I specialize in working with therapists and healers. And then it would lead to, yeah, and I am also a therapist. So it kind of just going back a little bit before the weekend with your college friends, were you feeling any, was there ever a hint that You weren't entirely happy? Was there any signs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, I have struggled with depression my entire life. Mm -hmm. So there's a way that I think I accepted unhappiness as inevitable and just like part of how things are supposed to be. And now, (laughs) as I'm getting real close to 50, now I... Um, getting to be able to see the difference between I need to make changes in my life and okay, I'm, I'm just feeling my feelings and they're, and they're painful at times. But yes, there was also whenever I would be talking to other therapists, which would be a lot of the time, I would notice in many of them that same love of their work and their career that I was mentioning in my college friends, I would notice that spark and like just loving being a therapist. And this came up from the time of my internship on where I would have this little sinking feeling of like, 
I don't think I'm necessarily in the right place as much as they are. I just kind of held it as like a dirty secret, like probably shouldn't mention that to too many people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And you just pushed through. Yeah, just pushed through. And then as the practice became successful, then all the more you can't say that because look at this. (laughs) How can I possibly be saying that? Yeah. And people are putting their lives, you know, their emotional and relationship lives in my hands. And I take that so seriously. So I certainly didn't want to say anything that would make anybody feel like I wasn't up for it. Right. (laughs) So I've been diagnosed with clinical depression in back in 2008. And I can totally relate to what you said, whereas before before I was diagnosed, I didn't understand the, the differences between what's going on. It was only after I was diagnosed and I started working with a therapist that I began to differentiate, like, what is when I'm in a, a cycle, like, mm-hmm. in a, you know, versus, no, there, it, this has nothing to do with depression. There's This is something else I need to be paying attention to, but I can, so I can totally relate to that. I was wondering whether uh, there's this phrase that is very common, midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And um, I was wondering whether that had ever entered your mind during that time. Did you even consider, oh my goodness, this is what they say midlife crisis is about? Yes, absolutely. And I felt like there was something about time. There was something about feeling like time is very short in in this whole equation of, should I make a career switch? Should I really invest in another <laughs> way of doing my work? There was this awareness of, you know, time is very precious and limited and feeling like this is, this is a queer woman's midlife crisis. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And then also, I would imagine you had also said something about this before. And this is not to say anything about any other profession, but certainly in your profession, that there was a lot of training that you went through that was invested into becoming a successful therapist that you're basically going to just put aside. Mm-hmm. And with the prospect of now I have to learn an entirely new set of things. <laughs> yes. And so I'm sure that was also another factor in in the quote-unquote crisis. Absolutely. And I think that one came up more as I finally decided to let the therapy practice go in feeling like I have all this skill and it's important and it's it's something that people need in the world. Is it selfish to just stop doing it? Like, is it selfish to say like, yeah, I could keep doing this and I'm not going to. So that was a, that was a place of, of kind of a little bit of grieving, a little bit of letting, or a lot of letting go and saying, yeah, that's not what I'm here to do anymore. Even though, yeah, it's so, so much, like you said, so much training, so much experience, so many hours put into this work. Um, so I've been revisiting, you know, the the TV series House MD. Mm-hmm. So I've been rewatching some of the old episodes recently, and there was this episode where the surgeon, not one of the doctors in the series, but another surgeon, famous cancer surgeon, 
was hospitalized. And so the doctors were all like, oh my God, she's here. Because I guess she has this reputation, right? And then they find out that she had left um, medicine and she was studying to be a chef. And there was a specific incident that happened that made her reconsider, you know, what she wants to do for the rest of her life. And there was this uh, one cancer doctor uh, who said, how could you leave medicine? We need you. We need your work. You know, I'm a cancer doctor in every day. You know, I have this kid, so I have cancer. And how could you just leave us? And, he's, and she's like, I know, but all my life, that's what I've been doing is I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. And now I want to do what I want to do. And when, when do I get to do that? I mean, obviously, it's a fiction story, but I'm sure that that sort of sentiment happens a lot of times when we're doing something we're supposed to do. We're doing something where, well, this is what I studied. This is what my parents told me I should do, or this is what people need me to do. And then what about me? When do I get to do it? Yes, yes. And I guess there's also, I read um, the the book by Gay Hendricks, The Big Leap, I mean, there's some cheesy stuff in there, but there's also a lot of wisdom around getting beyond your zone of competence or excellence and into your zone of genius and how, and I really needed to hear that at the time, that there is a way that you can get stuck in doing something that you're good at and it can keep you away from doing the next thing that maybe you're even more meant to do. Yeah. So this is a totally dumb question because I don't know anything, <laughs> but I can imagine that someone who might be listening to us might say, well, she was a therapist, she's been working with people, now she's a coach. Isn't that in the same sort of, isn't she doing pretty much the same thing? Right. In some ways, it's similar. The way that it's not at all a dumb <laughs> question. In some ways, it's similar in that so many of the skills that I learned, I'm still using. So many of the yes. skills of being able to tolerate really big feelings in myself and in other people, being able to stay steady in the face of like just about anything, being able to think quickly, form deep relationships, all this stuff I still get to do every day. The part that's the most different in the way that I do business coaching as opposed to the way I did therapy, because I can't say this is true for all therapists or all coaches. With business coaching, I'm like a dog after a bone. Like I want my clients to get at their goals <laughs> and I get to be really focused on that with them and help them go after it. Whereas the way I did therapy, it was much more slow paced. It was much more open ended and much less goal oriented. And so for me, this goal oriented, still gentle, still like approaching things in an open minded way, but I'm extremely goal oriented and I get to be that as a business coach. So when even when we're making a pivot, even when we're changing careers, that's the thing we need to remember is it's not like we have we've left behind all our other ex expertise and experiences and skills. We bring that over uh, and it just it's it's a layer that probably another business coach would not have that kind of skill set. Right. Yes, we totally bring it over. I think that's 100 percent true. And now 
I help people who are therapists and healers and want to move beyond private practice with their work. So it's kind of a perfect full circle situation. So I'm constantly helping people recognize what you just said, that they're not leaving all of their skills behind. They are finding new ways to use those same things plus new parts of themselves. It could actually be their differentiator because Mm -hmm. they have this other thing that other business coaches or other people don't have, right? So for example, in your case, you're not, you have this other side, like you totally understand, you totally understand the business because you were the practice because you were, you were in it before. And also, you know, the emotional side, the, the parts that someone who had never uh, worn that hat would never know. I don't know if this is part and parcel of, of, the, of the change or it was totally driven by something else, but you also told me that you have newfound spiritual habits and newfound physical habits. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of like how that came about and what do you actually, what's, what's part of your practice now? Yes. So I've noticed that a lot of the people who I look to as leaders, whether it's in business or in other areas, I've noticed that they have these ways of taking care of themselves, really, that they're very devoted to. Mm-hmm. And that used to really irritate me because I didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like I just kept seeing that pattern Mm-hmm. over and over again to the point where I started taking it seriously and felt like I need to at least try developing more of a self-care and a spiritual kind of practice for myself. So I started really small in terms of, it all feels very related, but in terms of caring for my body, I I started with just a 10 minute a day kind of situation where I would either go on like a one mile run, which actually does take me longer than 10 minutes, or <laughs> or I would do something that was strength training, but only for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. maybe seven. And I would do, I would kind of rotate those things every other day. And now since COVID, since the pandemic, I've actually upped that quite a bit and it's helped me to deal with you know, to get through my depression. Mm -hmm. And it's helped me to kind of feel more joy and more just access to my body in a positive way. I've really upped that. And now I'm five days a week, I'm doing about 45 minutes of, I do dance parties, online dance parties. How fun! Yeah. So I'm feeling stronger Mm -hmm. than I have probably since my 20s. Yeah. So that's the, that's the exercise side of things that now I am that annoying person that I used to feel (laughs) like annoyed by who's saying like, this is wonderful. And this is bringing me so much energy, but it's true. It's really true. (laughs) And it's helping me kind of show up for myself. I like it that my sons will sometimes walk in as I'm doing the dance party and they'll like roll their eyes, but I know that they're seeing that, that they're seeing that like joy and, and me taking care of myself every day. So. Exactly. <laughs> and, and when you said uh, spiritual practice, mm-hmm. is that, does that come into form of meditation or? Yeah. So what I do now is every day I take 
about an hour before I'll plug into anything. Like I love listening to podcasts. So before I'll turn on a podcast or, you know, check my phone or anything like that, I have an hour where I'm just unconnected. And in that time, I, I connect with my indoor plants a little bit, checking on them, make my coffee. And then I sit for, it's only 10 minutes. So I meditate for 10 minutes. Then after that, I will pick up a piece of reading like Mm -hmm. New Vision of Love by Bell Hooks or Mm -hmm. Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown or something Mm -hmm. else. There's a new hymnal that just came out by Thea Monnier, something like that, that will really feed my spirit and give me a message for the rest of the day or anything by Octavia Butler is wonderful. And then I take a moment after I put that down and I, I do this actually in my phone so I can track it. I write down some kind of message that's coming through from my deeper self or perhaps from my ancestors, something that they want me to pay attention to that day. So it could be anything. You know, that's the ritual that I go through. And then I do something just that I want to do. Like I'll watch a TV show or something like that before I start my day. And then the dance party happens before I go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you know, you're a therapist and then now you're a business coach. So different practice. Do you, on hindsight, do you think that the way that you approach your work now is different from the way that you approached your work before or the way that you're building your business now is different from the way that you built your practice before? Do you notice Mm. a difference? I do. That's such a great question. One thing I noticed that's really different is I feel a lot of freedom to make this business how I want it to be and how I think it's going to serve my folks the best. And I feel really a lot of permission to be creative about that and to create something that maybe has never been done before. Whereas as a therapist, there's really quite a roadmap of, you know, sessions are 50 minutes long and, you know, here's how your license works, fit yourself into this model and good luck with that. As a business coach, I really get to create my own programs and say, this is what works. This is how I do things. And then I get to play with it and iterate it and change it all the time. Would it be fair to say that there's more creativity in the way that you deliver your work, the the way you think about work, or the way you approach your work? 100%. Yeah. Much more creativity and innovation. So do you you think that when you encounter people now and they start talking about these questions or these, in their voice, you can hear (laughs) them sort of asking whether they're in their pursuing the right things or they're, that they're thinking of making change. Do you, do you feel that because you went through it, that you could hear a similar sort of tension going on or a journey that they're about to go through? And do you, do you, do you say anything to them about it because of what you went through? Yes, absolutely. And there's some confirmation bias in that people approach me 
because they want to make a change and they know that I can help them do it. But out in the world, I try to be careful (laughs) (laughs) because I could turn anybody into an entrepreneur in my mind. And I know that's not right for everybody. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, I definitely, I love it when people will take the chance of telling me like, actually, I don't feel like this life is working that great for me. And mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of making a change. I'm definitely on a, I'm going to be on the side of like, how could that change be possible? Yes, you're not going to be on the, what's wrong? Let's try and fix it. Yeah, we could just fix it a little <laughs> yeah. bit and you could stomach it for another 40 years. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the mantra of second breaks is celebrate midlife and I wanted to find out from you like when you hear that phrase celebrate midlife what comes to mind I really want to celebrate midlife and celebrate aging and I really work hard to embrace the changes like my aging face and my aging body and to pour a lot of love on myself and honor that I'm stepping over time into becoming an elder. And I feel really drawn to that energy of becoming an elder. And I'm also noticing as I'm, you know, getting close to 50, I notice that, and I I know I'm going to listen back to this like 20 years from now and be like, you were so little, but... (laughs) I feel like I'm getting more and more into relationship with my ancestors and both in celebrating them and in also wanting to heal the harm that they've done. And that feels like, for me, that feels like something that I'm getting more into in midlife. In my 20s, I was looking for validation in just about every moment, looking for validation on the faces of other people and trying to figure out how to be and what to say that would have me feeling accepted and loved and valued, even though I wouldn't have admitted it at the time. Today I am focused on getting in touch with my grounded self, my wiser self, and the part of me that already knows what's true, even though it's still not easy. I believe that it's natural to outgrow the roles that we've played in our lives. It's not at all surprising that a choice that we've made in our 20s may no longer fit who we are in our midlife, that our goals have shifted along the way, and that we now aspire to climb a different kind of mountain. The question isn't how we can avoid these things from happening, but rather how we can adjust and bring these new goals and changing preferences into our life today. I hope Annie's story gives you some bit of inspiration to pursue a different path. If you want to learn more about Annie, head on over to the show notes for all the links to her website and social media, 
as well as the highlights of this episode. The show notes are at secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends. Tell them about Annie's story or about the podcast. You spreading the word about the show makes a difference. It helps grow our community of thriving midlifers. And I would be so grateful. In our next episode, I'll be joined by Mary Beth Simone. And we're talking about making personal contingency plans. The kind that we all need to put in place today, as in right now. I don't want you to miss that episode and any of the future episodes for that matter. So now is the perfect time to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you'll see some options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie. I'll be back in a couple weeks with Mary Beth Simone. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs>